Let's talk about cultural engagement, what it is and why it matters. So <clears throat> um, this year, this whole year so far, we're halfway through the year, um, in our Tuesday night Bible study, we've been working through Dr. Daryl Bock's course, Cultural Engagement and Scripture, which, which this ex- exciting image represents. Um, <laughs> Cultural engagement is actually a pretty trendy new term. It's so trendy that churches in the U.S. are starting to uh, hire people who are who are who have a label as a cultural engagement um, pastor or things like that. And it's sort of it's sort of replaced apologist in an apologist, I guess. Um, but it refers to the core idea that Christians must be prepared to reach out to other cultures in a way that is sensitive to difference so that our message is not garbled or lost or rejected out of hand. Now, this is an increasingly important project because not only because of the multicultural nature of our, of our countries, of our, of our nations, but because... Our own Christian culture, our biblical worldview, the way we live, work and rest as Christians, it's increasingly different from the culture of the nations we inhabit. So, in other words, uh, to even talk to our non-Christian neighbours, we need to practice cultural engagement because we're talking across cultures and we need to, to be aware of that. Now, despite the term being new... The practice, of course, dates back to the very beginning of the church. In fact, you could say that uh, Carl Fazer's Jesus the Game Changer 2, which we did last year in our Bible study, you could say that that traced the history of the church's continuing practice of cultural engagement. And that's why I wanted to go back to the beginning today to take a look at the origins of Christian cultural engagement and to encourage us to really invest in this important practice. Now, uh, this sermon sort of, as I mentioned earlier in the service, is sort of a taster for a new series that we're doing on Acts. Yes, we did do Acts last year. We did do a a series on Acts last year. But this year we're looking at a, a different sort of take on Acts. Um, last year it was a continuation of Pentecost and, and the power of the Holy Spirit. But this year we're sort of looking at it as the, uh, the opposite of Judges. Now in Judges, the Holy Spirit gave people power like Samson. And, and every time it talks about the deliverers, it says the Holy Spirit rushed upon them or came upon them or something like that. But it just then gives them power to kill people or something like that. But in Acts, the Holy Spirit transforms people's hearts. And the difference is that in Judges, that power was able to be misused and it didn't really do anything that was lasting or, or um, something that, that we can look at and go, wow, that's, that's wonderful. Whereas in Acts, transforming people's hearts and then giving them power actually has world-changing impacts for the better. So that's what we're going to 
uh, focus on in this in this series. So let's look at the first expression of this power in these transformed people. That's now uh, we need to remember that the Holy Spirit. So where we're up to in Acts, the Holy Spirit appeared visibly, right? So that the first church could understand that they were receiving the Spirit into their hearts. So this bit's just happened: the flames of fire. And straight after that, let's read what happens. At that time, there were many devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, They're just drunk. That's all. Have you ever been in a foreign country where no one speaks your language? This doesn't apply for Mabel, obviously, but it did for me. Um, (laughs) Have you experienced that feeling of suddenly hearing a snatch of your mother tongue after days of labouring in a foreign language? It's like cold water after a dry hike through the desert. It's so refreshing and encouraging, isn't it? Even if it's a total stranger speaking your language, it it doesn't really matter. It's wonderful to just bathe in this familiar, secure, effortless form of communication and even communion. When I was navigating Tokyo's labyrinth on streets or trekking through the depths of Shamshopo and I heard even a word or two of English, my ears would immediately prick up. And even, even in Silicon Valley the soft vowels of an Aussie accent would bring instant recognition. Even though I was surrounded by English, it was that weird American stuff. (laughs) And that's why the Holy Spirit's free gift, our first gift to the disciples, was the ability to speak in the mother tongue of all the visitors to Jerusalem on that first Pentecost. The gap between the way, the, what eventually became known as Christianity, and traditional first century Judaism was so great that God knew he would need as much translation as possible. In fact, Jesus was already, when you think about it, Jesus was already the most powerful form of cultural engagement that the world has ever seen. I mean, he was the son of God, right? The second person of the Trinity, And he came down from heaven, from the culture of the Godhead, you could say, uh, the world of the eternal three in one. And and coming down, he became a human being. He, He was still God, but he became human. So he bridged these two 
vastly different and separated cultures. Uh, the holy, loving, giving domain of God and the rebellious, selfish, consuming domain of humanity. But by the time of Pentecost, Jesus had gone. Jesus had ascended back into heaven. And all that was left were the disciples. So now being that bridge was their job. But of course, that's why the Holy Spirit was sent. So what is this task that the disciples needed to do? Which um, this task that the Spirit initiated with this gift of, of many languages. To put it in the simplest terms, cultural engagement is taking the truth of the good news that Jesus has given us to share and translating it into language and actions that our neighbours can understand. There are several important observations to make from this passage. First, we are the ones who have to do the translation being spoken by the believers. It was the believers who were doing the speaking. To put it another way, the burden of understanding our neighbours' cultures falls on us. We can't expect them to put in the effort to understand the Bible's message. They're just not going to do that. Sometimes they do, and that's great, but most of the time they won't. So, so we have to translate our culture for them. They're not going to come and try to figure out our culture. The second thing is that we're translating Jesus' message, not our own. The wonderful things that God has done. We must therefore be careful not to throw in all sorts of confusing preferences that come from us rather than from Jesus. So things like a distaste for alcohol or the perception that homosexuality is worse than adultery or a preference for a market economy. I mean, there's lots of, <laughs> there's lots of weird things that we can throw in with the gospel. And we have done in the past. But because we're acting as Jesus' ambassadors, we have to be very aware of who Jesus is. And third, even if our translation of cultural engagement is successful, it doesn't guarantee a willing reception of our message or of God's message. We need to recognise that that we're not called to force people into the kingdom of heaven, we're called to call people into the kingdom of heaven. Some people will respond positively to the message, but most won't. That's not our fault, it's theirs. Even Jesus was rejected. How much more will we be? So we need to be comfortable with being rejected. We need to be resilient, to use that trendy term. <laughs> Truly resilient. Now, given these complexities, it's, it's tempting to just give up and enjoy our cosy community, right? So, so why is it so important to continuously engage with people who 
belong to the radically different cultures of the world. This is closer to Rachel's background, maybe. (laughs) At least geographically. Um, (laughs) It matters because humans are designed to live in harmony with God, not in rebellion. So humans living in rebellion are estranged from the kingdom and, and estranged from all good things. And so, of course, they suffer as a result. The funny thing is most of the time people know that things aren't right. Like if you talk to to your neighbours, they'll know that things are wrong, right? There's something wrong in their life, something they're just not feeling not feeling right for whatever reason, but but they'll happily blame uh, the government for it or that horrible person at the office or or their spouse or uh, some bad product that they bought or whatever. You know, there's lots of things to blame and the world will give you plenty of cues for what to blame other than what we know the core problem is, that is their rebellion against God. But even explaining the problem of sin, rebellion against God, is difficult in our modern Western culture. Dr. Bock in in the... the, um, cultural engagement and scripture um, study pointed out that one way that we can explain sin to our neighbours who don't even accept God's existence is to describe it as dysfunction. Our society is very familiar with the idea that most of us are struggling with the dysfunction of some kind or another. So people are, are open to exploring how they might repair their dysfunction in a way that they will not explore their sinfulness. So if we talk about, and this is an example of cultural, uh, of translating theology and doing cultural engagement, if we talk about the dysfunction that we have in our lives, in our society. Imagine an IT company that thought everyone should understand how their technology worked. You might get an ad that looked like this. You know, that would be good enough if people were super geeks. It's like, yeah, look at this, it's cool. It's got Bluetooth early. Um, but IT companies know that people aren't techies and that they don't want to be. So you get ads like this. <laughs> That's a very technical sort of claim there. <laughs> Does more. Now, this doesn't really tell you everything you know, right? But it does start a conversation in a place where most people are comfortable to start. So we need to, we need to be able to do this sort of thing. We need to be able to have an approach that starts a conversation. It doesn't have to finish it, but it needs to start it in a place where people are comfortable starting. So how do we apply this? Uh, that's, uh, that's what I was talking about before. <laughs> We just spent a whole semester studying that, of course. We spent a whole semester studying how to do cultural engagement. So, uh, so okay, uh, we should be finished by about 10 o'clock tonight. So let's get started. <laughs> no, I'm obviously not going to be able to do that justice. But let me explain how it, studying cultural engagement changed my life. Now, you've all heard this, but people listening to the recording won't have heard it. Um, it sounds like a big deal, right? Changed my life. But uh, 
The reality is that every time I go into a Bible study or I prepare a Bible study, every time I prepare a sermon, every time I go and listen to a sermon, I'm sort of hoping that it will change my life. That's why I do it. That's a part of what I want when I read a Christian book. I want my life to be changed. But it, it doesn't always happen, of course. So uh, I'm actually glad that our last semester uh, of study has changed my life. And here's how I've changed how it has changed. So Dr. Bock explains that one of the keys to cultural engagement, what makes it engagement rather than accommodation, is the act of challenging the people you're engaging with. Coming from a Christian perspective and engaging with people in our culture, we'll always have plenty of challenges to make, right? We don't have to go looking for challenges. It's pretty easy to find a place where you need to challenge people on their lives. But the key to a successful challenge, one in which you maintain your relationship with your neighbour rather than destroying it uh, by offering that challenge, is to to only offer a challenge once your neighbour knows that you genuinely care for them. So showing care and compassion to your non-Christian neighbours is a key part of cultural engagement. And Dr. Bock worked through the ways that we could do that through a church ministry or a mission, um, which is a traditional Christian approach, through a Christian, through our own workplace, living Christ out in that context, or through non-Christian organisations that are serving the community and joining them. When I heard that, I realised that I'd only been thinking about options one and two for my whole life, Christian ministry or the workplace. Uh, And since I I no longer belong to a secular workplace, I only had one option, Christian ministry. But understanding that I could join a secular ministry or mission really opened up a world of opportunities. So, as I said before, I can recommend checking out Volunteering Gold Coast online for a, or you can go there in purpose it's up it's up at miami on the on the highway um we ride past it when we when we do our surfers bike ride so we can pop in there um actually they don't like you to pop in they like you to book an appointment online so don't do that <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> they have a huge range of opportunities to serve the community and there's plenty of openings Uh, The point is that we live out Christ in our community, showing the members who are working alongside us and the people benefiting from their work the love of Christ. And that care and compassion then paves the way for the necessary challenge. So I encourage you to think about how your workplace is an opportunity to care for people and ultimately to challenge them or to think about joining a group where you can do that. Or you can, and I haven't written this one down, you can join a Christian ministry as well. I went to uh, BCC on Friday and saw their their Friday morning um, food distribution and stuff. They actually have a lot of volunteers there um, at the at the op shop, and they had quite a lot of uh, volunteers there for the for the food drive and stuff. But um, one thing that that Steve said they're always looking for because they're they're 
increasing the number of um, food bags that they hand out. And they've got a program where you can give $40 for a food bag and then that covers the cost of the food bag that goes to, to someone each week. Um, so they've got brochures, which we'll be able to pick up when we're meeting there. And Steve suggested that that's something that's good to give to somebody else to encourage them to give. So the church doesn't do that. The church can support it in other ways. Um, but uh, the church can encourage the people around them to support it. And by doing that, we're actually showing that we care, not in a sort of crass way, but in a, in a genuine sort of way. So, um, <clears throat> so that's something to think about as well. And there, there are other um, opportunities at, uh, at BCC and also um, in Renew as well. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us the power of your Holy Spirit. But thank you even more for transforming our hearts, for bringing us back into relationship with you, for healing the dysfunction we had deep in our core relationships with ourselves, the world we live in, and with one another, but most of all with you. Help us to love those around us who are trapped in dysfunction, in rebellion against you. Help us to engage them in sensitive, thoughtful, listening and caring ways. In Jesus' name. Amen.